This morning we continue in 1 John, and this is really the second part of the sermon that I didn't finish last week. And like most sermons that I don't finish the next week, it's kind of like leaven dough. It gets bigger and bigger, but I've tried to contain myself. And uh, we have been looking here at 1 John at this wonderful chapter that speaks about the love of God. And what we see in this chapter is a Trinitarian love. It is the love of the Father that sends his Son into this world who makes propitiation for the sins of sinners. For all who would ever believe in him, he has made an atoning, sufficient, full, sufficient sacrifice for sin. But also we see the ministry of the Spirit of God who is sent by the Father and sent by the Son who comes and applies this salvation. And as we think about salvation, we can think of it in two ways, that in salvation there is something that God has done for us. We look to historic redemptive events. We look to Calvary. We look to what Jesus did there. There is something that he has done for us. It is a finished work. We celebrate that today as we think of the death, burial, the resurrection of Christ. It is a finished work. So he does something for us in Christ, but he also does something in us. It is the Spirit of God who is kind of behind the pages here in 1 John where we see this little term over and again that those who are born of God, they are born of God. They are those who love, John says here in verse 7. Everyone who loves has been born of God. It is the ministry of the Spirit who has applied that who's regenerated us, who's given us life. And so there is a Trinitarian gospel. There's a Trinitarian salvation that we know and that we enjoy by God's grace. And what we focused on last week and again today is that it is the ministry of the Spirit who applies these things to us that is at work in us to give us assurance, assurance of this Great salvation that has been won for us by Christ. And we see this in verse uh, verse. Well, go back to verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. This love of God reaches its goal. One of the goals of which is that love is now perfected in us. And we we love one another and we love God. We even love our enemies, but particularly, John says, the mark of a believer is that they love one another. They love the people of God. And then verse 13, by this we know, by this, this love of God that has reached its goal in us to make us to be more like Christ and to reflect the very love of God. By this we know that we abide in him, that we abide in God and he in us. So John says, we know this. Now, how do we know this? Well, he tells us because, here's the reason, because he has given us of his spirit. As we think about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the spirit is a gift that God gives to the people of God. And the spirit does a number of things in the lives of believers. He's the one that regenerates us. He's the one that gives us illumination to understand what to ourselves we would never understand or not desire to understand. 
It is the Spirit of God who is working in us and sanctifying us. He is called the Holy Spirit. And he sanctifies all of those in whom he is dwelling. He's making them to be more like Jesus Christ. And therefore we see the fruit of the Spirit that is being produced in the lives of believers. It is the Spirit who comforts us. It is the Spirit who convicts us. It is the Spirit who leads us. John, or Romans 8:16 says, As many as are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. These are the children of God. So he is leading us, guiding us. And it is the Spirit who is at work in us to exalt Christ. I will send the Spirit, Jesus said, and he will take the things of mine and show them unto you. He will exalt Christ. He will exalt the gospel. But among many things that he does, one that is mentioned here by John, is that he assures our hearts. He gives us assurance that we belong to God, that we abide in God and he abides in us. And we talked about the first point of this last week. The Spirit gives us the assurance for this present day as we live in this fallen world and as believers, as as we live our Christian life. It is the Spirit who is working into our lives an assurance that we belong to God, that we are his, that he abides in us and we abide in him. And so the Spirit is at work to do this. And I think John is giving us some of the means that he does this. He is showing us, if we're a Christian, that we have a genuine love for the brotherhood, for the people of God. We have a desire and a and, and a, a desire to walk in holiness, uh, to live a righteous life. This is what the Spirit of God is producing in us. Spirit of God is producing an exalted high view of who Christ is, that we confess him. We know him. It is in him that we have our hope. And so John says this assurance that we have is coming as a result of these things that John has been writing about. And so this spirit who has been given to us gives us a present assurance that we belong to him. And we can waver on that. We have at times doubts in our minds and there are ups and downs that a Christian can have. But the spirit will continue to work in us to know that we belong to God, that we have been purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there is this wonderful, blessed assurance that we have in Christ that is made known to us by the Holy Spirit of God. In Romans 8, there, Paul, as he writes, says that as many as are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. And you have not received a spirit of bondage leaning again into fear. That was, that was what was true in paganism. You never knew if your God was appeased, if you'd done enough things to get right with God. And a lot of people think that way, that there are, there are things that they can do, steps and hoops that they can jump through, and they never know if they've done enough. And it, it only leads to fear, it only leads to bondage. And you have not received a spirit like that, but you have received the spirit of God himself. The spirit who is at work in us. 
That's as the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. And as we cry out, Abba, Father, we know that it is this means that we know that we belong to him, that we are the sons of God. What a wonderful thing that the spirit is at work to help us to know and to be assured that we belong to him. But today we want to look at the second point from last week, and it is this, another aspect of assurance. It's not just for this present day, but John goes on to tell us that this assurance has to do for the final judgment day. For a day that is yet to come, that even now we have assurance So as the spirit is working in the lives of those born of him, verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and in and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. And now we see John again using this word perfected. Love has been perfected among us. In this, this flows again out of the work of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who gives us present assurance. But here is a here is an assurance with regard to a future day of judgment. Love has been perfected among us in this. That we may have boldness. That we may have boldness. Notice this in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. So John looks to the future, speaks about a day. There is an appointed day. It is a day of judgment. This little phrase, the day of judgment, is gathers in a vast amount of Information from all of the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, a day of judgment that is yet to come. And the Bible says it's an appointed day. Paul said that in Acts 17, God commands all people everywhere to repent. Why do you need to repent? If you're here and you've not repented and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, why is it so important? Why does he command you to repent Because, Paul says, he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world through the man whom he has ordained, that is Jesus Christ. And he has given assurance to this to all by raising him from the dead. There is this day that is appointed. It is fixed. It is certain It is immovable. This day is to be here described as a day of judgment. And the whole thrust of biblical, the biblical narrative and the whole thrust of human history is moving toward that appointed day that God has ordained and has established. And it is a day of judgment, but at the same time, It is a day of salvation. It's like the Exodus. In the days of the Exodus, it was a judgment upon Pharaoh and Egypt. 
but it was a day of salvation for the people of God. And so it will be in that day, a day of judgment of, uh, upon impenitent sinners, but a day of salvation for all those who are in Christ Jesus. This day was spoken of over and again by the prophets. They speak about this great and terrible day of the Lord, the day of God's wrath. John the Baptist warned his hearers, flee from the wrath that is to come. There's a day of wrath that is coming. You need to flee. Jesus himself says in Matthew 12:36, I say to you that for every idle word that men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment, in the day, the day of judgment. Now, that's an amazing statement. That is a sobering statement, is it not? Every idle word, there's a day of accounting with regard to that. Romans 2, verse 5, Paul writes and he says, to those whose hearts are hardened, to impenitent sinners, they are storing up wrath. They're storing up for themselves wrath for the day of wrath. There is a day of wrath that is coming. And by their sins, they are storing up wrath. And that word storing up is a, it's a financial term. It's the idea of saving up. It's what you kids do with your piggy bank. Some of you, maybe. You have a piggy bank, and what do you do? Little by little, you're putting coins in there. And it may not seem much at the time, but over a period of time, when you break open the piggy bank and you count it, you've got quite a bit there. And Paul says that's what sinners, impenitent sinners, are doing. Little by little, with their sins, they're storing up again and again over time, over their life. They're storing up wrath for the day of wrath. There's this day that is coming, Hebrews 9. It is appointed for men once to die, and after that, the judgment. After that, the judgment. You have two appointments. You have an appointment with death, and you have an appointment one day to stand before Almighty God. Second Thessalonians 1, verses 7 and 8. Christ will come from heaven with his Mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Revelation six says the pictures of judgment are coming up on in the future on, on our world. It envisions that day and it says the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens in the rocks on the mountains of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. And here it is for the the great day of his wrath has come. And who is able to stand? 
Who is able to stand in that great day? As we think about this, this is something that is often mocked in our culture, in our world, laughed at. It's mocked because, you know, there's this judgment day that is coming. But the Bible says that this day is appointed and that it looms large over our world that is in rebellion against God. And one God, one day God will settle all accounts. And as believers, Paul gives us some help in Romans 12. As we look around us and we bemoan the the corruption that we witness in our world, corruption in high places, we we bemoan the vile and the wicked demonstrations of perversity that we see on Main Street. We we bemoan injustices and wickedness that is perpetrated by humanity against humanity. And we sometimes have been the objects of some of that injustice and that vile abuse in our own life. And a lot of times people are inclined to say, well, where is God? Where is God? The Bible says there's an appointed day and God will settle all accounts. So Paul says to the believers in Romans 12. And I think this is helpful for us as we live in a world that we do not despair when we see all of the corruption and injustices in our world. Paul says that we're not to seek to take personal revenge. Do not take revenge, he says, my dear friends. But leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, I, it is written, I, uh, I will avenge and I will repay, says the Lord. And so as believers, we know that God, again, will settle all accounts. It's not our responsibility to seek revenge. And in fact, Paul goes on in that next verse to say we are called even now to love our enemies, to give a cup of cold water to an enemy. And as we do that, we're heaping coals upon their head, but we are not to seek revenge. But one day God will. So we leave room for the wrath of God as we see all the things that are so disturbing. We know this, that God will again settle all accounts one day. We see here that this ought to be a terrifying thought to any unrepentant sinner. Jesus said this, you know, we fear a lot of things, don't we, as we as we go through life. When I was a little boy, I always feared if my mom or dad were gone. Always if I if I was in bed at night and I was waiting, I would I'd stay awake until I knew that I heard the door close and they were home. I was fearful something might happen to them. As children, we have a lot of fears, but as adults, we have a lot of fears, don't we? But here is the greatest thing that we really ought to fear. And Jesus said, don't fear those that can kill the body. And after that, that's all they can do. You need to fear the one who can not only kill the body, but destroy and send to eternal judgment. That is the one that you ought to fear above anything else in this world. Fear this God and be reconciled to him through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, having said all of that, 
the, the reason that we, I emphasize that is because John is saying that as believers, we have assurance. In light of that great day that is coming, we have an assurance that the Spirit of God is working into our lives. So we see here a gospel boldness in light of that day. Right now, there's a gospel boldness that we have in light of that day. Verse 17 Here's another way in which love is perfected in the believer. Back in verse 12, we saw there that as we love, this is the love of God that's being perfected in us. It's reaching its goal. This is the intended purpose of this love that comes to us from God. Well, here's another purpose. Here's another goal that is is being reached by the gospel in the lives of believers. And the spirit is applying this is that. This 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 love that we've come to know that is perfected in us is that we may have boldness in that day of judgment. That we can have a holy boldness as we think of this great and terrible day of the Lord. So he says love has been perfected. Now, this isn't perfectionism. Um. I heard a story this week of Spurgeon. He said he met a woman at the at the train uh, station one time and she said, I want you to know, Dr. Spurgeon, that I have been perfected, meaning I have become sinless, to which Spurgeon stepped on her big toe and put all his weight on her big toe, only to indicate that she was not yet perfected. I don't know if that's true or not, but that was a story I heard and it supposedly came from Spurgeon. And I can see Spurgeon doing that. But we're not talking about perfectionism. What is perfected here is that this love of God is reaching its goal, its purpose, and that is to give assurance to the hearts of God's people, to give them peace, especially in light of this great day, so that we may have boldness, that we may have Boldness. This word has the idea of confidence. We have boldness. We have confidence. We have assurance in light of that great day. Now, how is that possible? King David said, Lord, if you should mark out my iniquities, I could not stand before you. That's true of all of us. Lord, if you made us give an account For our sins, we could not stand approved and accepted before you. So how can we stand approved before a holy and righteous God? Well, it is through the one that John has been writing about. This one who has made propitiation for our sins. And notice what he says here. We can have boldness in the day of judgment because. Because. Here's the reason. Because. As he is, so are we in the world. And I think it's a reference to Christ. As Christ is, so are we in this world. He doesn't say as Christ was, as he was here on this earth, but as Christ presently is. He is at the right hand of the Father. He is righteous. He is holy. And it is in him that we are united. In him we are righteous. We have his righteousness that has been given to us. 
We are seen by the Father as being united to him, and therefore we are accepted in the beloved one. There is this union that we have with Christ such that the Father could say of all those that are united to Christ what he says of his Son. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Brothers and sisters, in the gospel, that is what God has done for us. He has so united us to his Son that he can say to us that this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. I'm delighted because he's united to Christ and he has the righteousness of Christ. And so it is this mercy and grace that makes us to stand approved in the sight of God because of Christ. In First Thessalonians that Bryce read for us, it says that as believers we are awaiting We are awaiting the return of Jesus who saves us from the wrath to come. This is what Jesus has done for his people. He is saving us from that day, that great and terrible day of the Lord. He saves us from the wrath of God. All of those who are sheltered in him and united to him. He's going to come again one day. He will judge the world, the impenitent, his enemies, And he will gather his people unto himself and receive them. And it's because the wrath of God has already been satisfied in his work as he has made propitiation. Augustus, top lady who wrote Rock of Ages, says, If thou hast my discharge procured and freely in my room endured the whole of wrath divine, if you've absorbed the whole wrath of God in my place, then then payment God cannot twice demand. First at my bleeding surety's hand, and then again at mine. He has made a full atonement, and therefore he saves us from the wrath that is to come. Paul writing to the Romans says in Romans 8, 1, There is therefore now no what? No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. We have been justified. It's a legal term. It's a courtroom scene. Not guilty to all those who by faith are joined to Christ. And there's no common condemnation. So what happens in that day of judgment is just move forward. And even now God says no condemnation The same thing that they will hear in that day. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So this gospel of grace communicates a holy boldness that the people of God have. Not because of who they are. Not because of anything that they have done. Not because they've jumped through a number of hoops and made themselves acceptable to God. But it is a holy boldness that comes from the gospel. Amazing words in Hebrews. Hebrews 10:19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, you would never dare go into the holy of holies or even to the holy place 
in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. It was just a picture, though, of a ministering priest. And we belong to that priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, and a greater temple that is in heaven. And we're able to come with boldness into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the assurance that the Spirit of God wants to convey to us. And we see that this perfected love cast out fear. This perfected love in the hearts of God's people will cast out fear. As you think about children, they have parents that love them unconditionally. They have no fear of mom and dad. You think of a spouse that loves their their spouse with an unconditional kind of love. There's no fear in that kind of love. And as love is perfected in us, what does it do? It abolishes and dries out fear. And this is what the gospel does. How does the spirit do this? Well, he magnifies Christ. He magnifies who he is. He glorifies Christ. He takes the things of Christ and he shows them unto us. And it speaks peace to us. We see our Savior. We see the sufficiency of all that he has done for us. And therefore, we have peace. We have confidence. We have assurance. We have comfort. And this lastly, just this love begets love. This divine love of God begets love. We love. We love now because he has first loved us. This love is a Trinitarian love. It comes to us from the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit. It's an experiential love that we've come to know and experience, and it changes the way in which we live. And all of this by the amazing grace of God. Today, as we come to the Lord's table, we come to remember what Christ has done so that we can have boldness, that we can have assurance with regard to that great and terrible day of the Lord and his wrath. Christ himself has absorbed God's wrath in the place of the believing sinner. I invite you to take your insert and